What's up, everyone, and welcome back to The Real Deal Podcast. If you're new here, my name is Antonio Moreno, and on today's episode, we're going to take a look at some aviation news stories, of which there have been a few in the most recent weeks, particularly the new United Boeing order of 787 Dreamliners. Make sure to subscribe and share the podcast with anyone you know. Appreciate all the support and love you guys are giving me, and all the feedback. I really do appreciate it, and... uh I uh, I think it's been a great start so far. Everyone seems to be loving the episodes, uh, and we're going to be talking about a lot of different topics as we move forward into future episodes. On today's episode, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about uh, some aviation news stories. I think it's time, uh, as I am an air traffic control uh, student, and I'm also attending Embry-Riddle uh, with a major in aviation business administration, so I do follow a lot of things with the aviation industry. Uh, as it does pique my interest, and uh, there's certainly been a lot to talk about. Now, before we begin, I do want to briefly mention uh, two things real quick. Uh, there were two pretty important people uh, that passed away before the end of the year, which, by the way, Happy New Year. It is 2023. My goodness, that feels very weird saying that. Uh, but it is 2023. It is a new year, and... Uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to, uh, certainly on this podcast, and uh, I hope you all have a very healthy, happy, and prosperous new year. Uh, I do want to briefly mention, though, as I said, uh, before 2022 ended, we had Pele and Pope Benedict XVI pass away. Uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, I should say, uh, before the end of the year, both in the last week of 2022. Uh, Pele, the Brazilian soccer star, uh, pretty much known as the original goat or godfather of the game of football, uh, he died at the age of, I think he was 84 when he died, and uh, he is the only player in history to have three World Cup winners' medals. He won the FIFA World Cup three times with Brazil, was part of that 1970 winning team, largely considered by many football fans as the best international soccer team that the game has ever seen. He was a star not only on the Brazilian national team, but also for his home club of Santos, uh, in which he won the Brazilian National League title six different times. Six times he won the league in Brazil with Santos, uh, in addition to those World Cup medals and wins. And he also played in the United States for a year uh, when the U.S. was beginning to form a soccer league that eventually would be um, it would be broken down and then rebuilt into what we know as the MLS today. But Pelé even played in the United States and everywhere across the world. Whether you are you know, a devoted fan to the game or whether you are a casual fan, um, and of any generation, not just the young generation, but of the older generations, um, many, 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 many people will have heard of a guy named Pele and remember how great he was. He was really the first world star uh, of the game, I would say, with probably Alfredo Di Stefano back in Europe. Pele, who was not able to win a Ballon d'Or, which is the prize given for those of you that don't follow uh, soccer as much. The Ballon d'Or is the prize given in Europe to who is considered uh, based on the votes from 
many uh, in the news industry, in the sports news industry. Uh, there is a voting process that happens through a magazine called France Football, and there's this prize given to whoever is considered to be the, quote, best player on the planet for that year. Now, many famous players have won the Ballon d'Or. Obviously, uh, Karim Benzema was the winner this year, uh, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Zinedine Zidane, uh, many, many famous players have won the Ballon d'Or throughout history, but players like Pele and Maradona were never, were never able to win it because they never played in Europe, or when they played in Europe, it was for a very short time, such as in the case of Maradona, but Pele never played in Europe. Uh, but he probably, well, probably no, he would have definitely won a Ballon d'Or, at least one, probably would have won multiple had he played in Europe. Just a phenomenal player. If you watch some of his highlights, there are videos of highlights of him uh, you know, playing in, in back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, he was really an exceptional, exceptional player. He was a gifted player. Not only could he score goals, but his dribbling ability was fantastic. His speed, the ability to excite fans. He was pure entertainment to watch. And uh, may he rest in peace. He was a phenomenal player and really a great guy. Who worked a lot for charities and uh, did a lot of really important social work for a lot of the poor and... Uh, unfortunate uh, circumstances that many people in Brazil face um, in both uh, social and economic uh, means uh, in which it's obviously not an easy life and it's not been an easy life there for many people and he's done a great job there. So just a terrific person, a wonderful, gifted, excellent uh, football player. As I said, the only guy to ever win three World Cups. Nobody's done that. And uh, he was really the guy that inspired all of today's players to play the game. And he is largely the reason that the game is as global and as popular as it is in today's world. The other death that happened that was pretty significant was Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. He was the first pope when he resigned in 2013 to abdicate from the papacy, the position of the head of the Roman Catholic Church. He was the first to do so in 600 years. Um, and Pope Gregory was the last to do that back in the early 1400s. And uh, Pope Benedict was a very philosophical theologian. He was in a position of power within the Catholic Church for a very long time time since the Second Vatican Council, and he was involved in the Vatican Council back in the early 1960s, and he was very much involved in the papacies of Paul VI, of John Paul I, and he was certainly the most important figure uh, next to Pope John Paul II during the latter half uh, the latter stages of the 20th century and into the 21st century. And uh, he was the dean of the College of Cardinals, which is basically the position voted by the cardinals of the Catholic Church. Uh, and that is a position uh, given to the uh, cardinal who is seen as the most important figure or most, uh, or, or most qualifies uh, to be the leading voice for uh, the cardinal congregation 
in the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. And uh, he became Pope in 2005, following the death of uh, St. John Paul II. And he was Pope for eight years, and he was somebody that was open, certainly, I think, to the Church becoming more integrated into the new world of the 21st century, but still very much... Uh, very much somebody that stuck to the traditional Catholic values, which mostly many of them I agree with. And obviously the downside of his papacy was the fact that many of the corrupt sex scandals and um, all of the shady business, basically, of the church was exposed under his papacy. And I think that did hurt his legacy a little bit. Um, and certainly I think that had some influence in uh, his decision to resign from the papacy, although I think that there's other matters involved in that particular situation, but we're not going to get into that. Um, however, I agree with many of the things that he spoke about, such as his views on abortion and on uh, what marriage actually is and not what society dictates us to believe. Marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman, not between two people of the same sex. That does not jive with the current narrative. The current social and political narrative is that love is love and marriage should just be a term coined for anyone that likes somebody else and has either specific emotional or sexual feelings to that individual. That is not what marriage was. That is not what marriage is intended to be. And marriage is something between a man or a woman. That does not mean that I do not believe in gay couples having the right to have uh, a legal engagement or being together or having rights. I'm all for that. But to use the word marriage to define that relationship is simply not what the word marriage means and what it's meant for the entirety of human history. And he was somebody that defended that very, very strongly. In addition, he defended his views on abortion, which uh, I agree with. I'm not going to go too much into that since that's a very controversial topic, which I really don't think it should be, um, but unfortunately it is. And uh, he was very clear uh, and uh, was one of the first popes. Um, John Paul also spoke out largely against abortion, but he also continued in that line of John Paul II and uh, basically said that any politician that votes in favor of an abortion should not feel welcome at uh, the reception of Holy Communion because it is completely against the Catholic doctrine and dogma. And people think that the Pope should be open to certain realms or ideas of the current modern uh, way or the current modern establishment or views uh, because of rights and because of ideas that people have. He is also the head of the Catholic Church and whether people like it or not, he is responsible for defending certain dogma and certain beliefs which are proven throughout history to have been correct and you can find them in scripture and they're backed by scripture and they are uh, beliefs that have been around for the entire history of the Catholic Church such as the belief of the dignity of human life which the Catholic Church has always defended. And that is something that is non-negotiable and that the Pope of the Catholic Church should defend, uh, as we say in Spanish, a capa y espada, to cape and sword, which is a phrase that is often used 
referencing the cape and sword of a bullfighter um, trying to defend himself from a bull in a bullfight. So uh, he was a largely influential figure in the church over the last half century, and uh, certainly uh, he had a major effect on the church's role and uh, certainly the church's uh, new, I want to say, integration into the 21st century. Pope John Paul kind of started that, but he didn't really get enough time to lead the church into the 21st century as he died just five years in. Um, but Pope Benedict was really the one that brought the church through. And as I said, yes, there were some downsides to his papacy, such as with the sex scandals and I think certain other positions that, um, you know, I think there's certain things that he could have certainly phrased in, in different ways. But in terms of his beliefs and what he defended, I think that's that's very important. Um, and uh, may he rest in peace, just like Pele. Uh, and uh, he had his funeral mass the first week of January on that first Thursday of the year uh, after he was lying in state in St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican for the first three days of that week. And uh, he was an influential figure, as I said, um, and I think certainly for many traditional Catholics, he will be missed. Now, moving on to the uh, main topic of today's episode, which is aviation. Uh, and there's many topics I want to get through. Um, and uh, first one we're going to talk about, I think, is really the big news at the end of the year that we got last year, which was United Airlines' major, major purchase from the Boeing Corporation, um, United Airlines ordered 10787 Dreamliners with the option of an additional 100, so potentially up to 20787 Dreamliners for United Airlines. And they also purchased an additional 10737 Max aircrafts in December of last year. Now for those of you that are not familiar with the aviation industry, uh, the two major manufacturing companies, Worldwide. Now, there's some others out there, such as Embraer. You have Piper Aircraft. You have Beach Aircraft, right? You have you have a lot of smaller manufacturers. But in terms of the big, you know, airlines and what they're looking for, there's two on the global stage, and that is Boeing and Airbus. And Boeing has been uh, really the carrying the American flag in aviation, shall we say, um, since it was created. And uh, Boeing has been certainly a company that has grown a lot over the years. But Airbus, I think, in recent times, especially in the uh, 20th, uh, near the end of the 20th century and, and the beginning of the 21st, heading into today's time, over the last decade or two, Airbus has certainly, I think, gained a lot of momentum um, and I think um, has overtaken Boeing in many aspects of, uh, of the industry. Uh, many major airlines over the past years, uh, both in the United States, such as you could look at Delta, for example, um, and uh, worldwide, you can look at other airlines uh, such as Emirates, uh, Iberia, Air France, uh, KLM. Uh, many, many airlines uh, have uh, Air Portugal. Many airlines have uh, taken the Airbus models, uh, the uh, A330s, the A340s, the A320s here, even JetBlue has them, the A319s, A320s, A321s. Uh, they become increasingly popular. Uh, and Boeing's 
model of airplane has had this tendency of being looked at as older. Many of the old 777s that many airlines have slowly started to realize that they need to give up on and purchase new aircraft um, because they're very old. Many people are seeing them as old, and rightly so, and uh, more and more airlines are starting to drop those older fleets. Uh, and the 777-200, um, many of which are very older, they still work fine, but they're very old models for a lot of you know companies that are looking to certainly market to a lot of uh, newer passengers uh, and to newer generations um, who like things being new. I think there's this tendency within my generation of, I mean, you just look at, for example, the iPhone. Every year the iPhone comes out, you think that, well, if people bought an iPhone a year and a half earlier, they wouldn't be going running to the store to get a new iPhone. But they do because we like things that are new and we like all of the things that are up to date, the newest modern technology because it's super cool and it looks great. So I think there's this tendency that the airline industry is starting to realize that, yes, these fleet have served us well, but they're getting old. And uh, over the last, as I said, two decades, Airbus has really, I think, taken the initiative um, and Boeing's, I think, been lagging behind. I don't want to say they've been completely unsuccessful, but I don't think that they've had the impact or magnitude that Airbus has had in the last few years. Um, for example, I took a British Airways flight form or M MCO, which is Orlando International, uh, over to London Gatwick uh, a little under five years ago. Uh, and uh, that plane... It was a 777-200. It worked just fine. It got us there fine, but you know, passenger experience is not great. Uh, my father and many other passengers on the airplane had seats that did not recline fully, and we had to constantly be changing seats with each other because the seats, because they had been used so much because it was probably a 20-year-plus you know, aircraft that has been in use for that long, and because the seats, the recliners have been used and the buttons have been pushed so many times, it was stuck and it didn't work. So people, including myself and my father, had to continuously switch seats uh, because obviously he would have been sitting upright straight for eight and a half hours, um, which if you don't want to have back problems um, and for a person like my father who is, who at the time was in his late 60s, now in his 70s, that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, so, so, uh, you know, overall, I think there, there has been this trend of, um, airlines slowly starting to realize they need to purchase new aircraft, but this is a massive step for Boeing, especially after the FAA before 2020, I think it was 2019, 2018, the FAA grounded many of the Dreamliners deliveries because there were a lot of manufacturing and technical issues going on, uh, with Boeing, uh, with their 737 maxes there were two major crashes that happened and the fleet was sidelined and the 787 deliveries were put on hold from the faa in order to make sure that you know these incidents didn't carry over to the new uh dreamliner fleet that boeing was putting out for new airlines uh, the full order value of this purchase is uh, estimated to be a about $43 billion. Uh, the main goal for United here is to replace their old fleet 
for better, more modern aircraft, as I said. More specifically, their aging 767s and a lot of their United 777-200s, which are still in operation today. And that is going to be replaced over time. Now, American Airlines is also doing the same thing in terms of retirement. They are also retiring their 767s. And uh, United has uh, declared that not only is this a major breakthrough for both United and Boeing and puts Boeing back at the top of the, um, air uh, the aircraft manufacturing industry in terms of competition with Airbus, but it also creates an opportunity for United Airlines to hire further employees after many of the layoffs that occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, United who released a statement on their webpage, and you can go there and see all the details of um, of, of the whole purchase and, and, and everything that, that is involved with that. Uh, according to United, the uh, total deliveries of these aircraft uh, will be in the next decade. Um, and the plan is to have at least half of them by about 2027-2028. Now, not only is this order a big blow for Airbus, the other problem that Airbus has is that, one, United has currently over 530 different orders from Boeing, and two, United has pushed back several times, several times, their uh, purchase of the A350. Uh, the purchase of the A350 that was originally made they were supposed to be delivered in 2017. That was pushed back originally to about, I think now, 2023-2022. And United has just pushed that order back again to 2030. So the fact that United is constantly pushing back these orders from uh, Airbus and the fact that United is wanting to take in these new Dreamliner deliveries in as soon as possible from Boeing is not a good sign for Airbus. And uh, certainly, I think that's a trend that we're seeing really across the world. And I'll get into that in a minute. Now, some of the other advantages, as laid out by uh, Boeing, uh, there's also a very good Business Insider uh, article that goes into all of the details uh, titled United Makes History with a Record-Breaking Boeing 787 Dreamline Order. Uh, a lot of the details also are very well listed there. 25% uh, improvement improvement of current fuel consumption. Fuel consumption is a big deal in the aviation industry. Now, for many of you that uh, have not followed um, the, the aviation industry as of late, uh, during COVID-19, as many other businesses did, uh, the aviation industry took a huge, took a huge hit. Um, apparently, my Apple Watch decided to go off right in the middle, but that's okay. Uh, that happens. It's very annoying. <laughs> but um, but uh, as I was saying, uh, the aviation industry suffered tremendously um, from the COVID-19 pandemic and billions of dollars in revenue were lost. And as a result, airlines are now trying to save money as much as possible, make as much revenue as they possibly can and spend as little money as possible. Now, that always was the case, especially in the 21st century as we moved into much better engineered aircraft uh, that allowed for better mileage, more passengers, 
Um, and obviously in terms of the fuel consumption and uh, the CO2 emissions, which is another big deal that's often talked about with new airplanes and their benefits. Um, a lot of this sort of mentality you know, has been around now for the last two decades. But add the giant pandemic on top of it, and billions and billions of dollars lost, and airlines are doing absolutely anything they can to spend as little money as possible. As low as cost can be, that is what they're trying to do. And fuel consumption is a huge part of that, because fuel consumption not only right now is it ridiculous, the price, uh, for one uh, barrel of fuel for aircraft, um, I mean, I, I don't know how much it's increased by, but it's it's ridiculous. The percentage, I don't know the percentage, but you'd have to you'd have to look it up. It's gone up, it's gone up a tremendous amount. Um, and uh, on top of that, the taxes on fuel consumption uh, for aircraft have also been increased. Uh, so a twenty five percent improvement on fuel consumption and over twenty percent reduction of CO two emissions compared to the seven sixty seven and other older fleets that not only United, uh, but many other airlines have, and uh, the carbon dioxide emissions uh, being reduced uh, is obviously something uh, that is very important, especially nowadays, not only for people from my generation, uh, but the current uh, airline and aviation industry looking to obviously care more for the environment. Um, uh, which, you know, people tend to think that because I'm conservative, it's like I'm against, you know, environmental protection. Like, no, I, I want to take care of the environment. I just don't think putting $500 billion into a green climate fund um, that is basically filled with waste, fraud, and abuse and sending billions of dollars abroad to a conference where old men can sip uh, cups of tea while sitting in their very comfy chairs in Paris, such as the Paris Climate Accords, is going to do anything to help with the environment or an issue like climate change. I don't think that's the solution. Pouring billions of dollars into a machine that does nothing is not going to help at all. Um, and so uh, those two things are very, very important, uh, and they are listed there in Boeing's uh, explanation of the order. Now, I think United Airlines' strategy versus their competitors also has something to do with this order. Why? Well, United wants to take advantage of newer aircraft models, uh, and with this large order, that's clearly their prerogative, and that's going to be their goal moving forward. And they're going to retire these older fleet of aircraft as soon as possible. Now, American, for example is starting to recognize that they do need updates. Hence, for example, American Airlines signed a new deal with Boom Supersonic for the new Supersonic Overtures, which is basically the second generation version of the Concorde. For those of you that have never heard of what the Concorde is, basically there was this uh, supersonic aircraft that existed during the late 20th century and for the first few years of the 2000s um, that basically flew you from New York to London or Paris in Charles de Gaulle in a matter of three or four hours. Um, and it would surpass the speed of sound. A speed of sound. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. Speed of sound. And uh, 
it was a big deal. It was a giant breakthrough in the aviation industry, but not only was it eventually a commercial failure towards the end of its life cycle because it was very expensive and, you know, most people didn't want to pay that amount for an airline ticket. Um, and also because of the fact that service on board transatlantic aircraft was certainly improving uh, and much improved uh, and people were willing to pay a higher fee for the service. Um, uh, excuse me, people were willing to pay the lower fee for service that was getting better instead of getting on this ridiculously expensive and it was also you know if you look at what the concord is if you ever in new york go to the intrepid which is one of the naval ships that they have there um, and it's a giant museum and on there is an actual concord that was used that was an actual concord and you can go in and see that it's a very small compact aircraft very small very clustered for people that have claustrophobia probably not the best idea to fly on one of those but bottom line is and there was also a major accident that killed everyone on board at charles de gaulle um, so that didn't help its legacy either now eventually the concord was discontinued fast forward now another 20 years and here you have american airlines saying we are going to now create the second generation of um transatlantic supersonic travel and that is what American Airlines decided to do. Now, deliveries are supposed to start in 2025. We're going to see what happens with that. Bottom line, American is realizing, okay, yeah, we maybe need to update a lot of our 777s and start finding replacements for them and maybe start ordering some new aircraft. Because clearly, United's strategy seems to be working. And based on the response from this order, um, it has worked. Uh, and there's been a very positive reputation created with United because of this order. American strategy, compared to United's, as I mentioned earlier, United has the strategy of taking advantage of newer aircraft models. Whereas American Airlines has always had this strategy of let's make the most of our current fleet until we can't use them any longer. And you can see that as American Airlines, for example, still uses 777s largely uses 777s for um, a lot of their international and uh, international flights and international destinations. Uh, they fly to Spain all the time. American Airlines flies to Madrid in Barajas and in Barcelona. Uh, in Barcelona El Prat, they have the 777s that fly between New York and Barcelona, Chicago and Barcelona, Detroit, Barcelona. Boston as well, um, New York, Madrid, same thing, um, Miami, Madrid as well. Uh, so American has had this strategy and they're seeing other airlines starting to purchase a lot of newer aircraft, which American has started to do. Uh, they've also purchased 787 Dreamliners. American Airlines has done that. Uh, and this goes to show that United strategy is not just one of a kind. It's not just United that's all of a sudden taking this initiative and they're like, okay, we're going to go to Boeing and get a giant batch of aircraft that brand, that's brand new and everyone else was just standing by and like, wow, nobody ever thought no. Like this has been a strategy that over the last few years, especially since the pandemic, has been, I think, crucial 
for the advancement of what the aviation industry, and it's giving us a picture of what it's going to look like, what the industry is going to look like for over the next decade or more. Uh, for example, Air New Zealand, huge purchase with Boeing for their 787 Dreamliners, including their plans for a new SkyNest, which will allow passengers to be able to actually sleep in these cubby hole beds on board for as long as you want. So literally, you can go on an Air New Zealand flight in a few years. I Actually, it might be this year when they get delivered. I don't know when, when the deliveries happen of these Skynest 787s. But basically, you can go in and sleep on a bed on an airplane. Um, I think it's a cool idea. Now we're going to see how it works out because obviously, you know, are, are people going to like sleeping that close to other strangers? Are the beds going to be comfortable? Are people going to do grown-up things that they shouldn't be doing on a public airplane on 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 the beds? I mean, I don't know. These are all potential things that you know I'm sure have been thought of, and we're going to see the results. We're going to see if it's a successful idea or not. I think, you know, if you think about it at first and based on the images that we've been given. And there's also videos you can go on YouTube and check it out. There's very well graphed and you know digital videos that explain and show you what it's going to look like. And I think they even have models already built that they had people go in and you know walk in and see what it's going to look like. Um, but bottom line, Air New Zealand, for example, huge order with the 787 Dreamliners with Boeing for this new Skynest. Etihad Airways and Japan Airlines are also using and ordering more 787 Dreamliners. Uh, they're not the only ones. Uh, ANA, Inspiration of Japan, uh, they are also heavily using 787 Dreamliners. They often use them for their Trans-Pacific flights. If you go from Haneda in Tokyo uh, over to LAX, Los Angeles International, they also fly them uh, to many other places in the West Coast, such as Seattle and San Francisco. Um, so bottom line here, United Strategy has kind of woken up or made it more evident to their competitors that it's time for the industry to move forward and look at newer models. The old fleets have served well, and yes, they do work. But just because they work doesn't mean you should still be using them. And quite frankly, and you can even see, for example, the fact that, you know, over the last few years, Airbus has discontinued the production of the A380s, which is the largest commercial aircraft that has ever been in existence, which is the, for those of you that don't know what the A380 looks like, that is your complete full double-decker aircraft, the entire length of the fuselage, um, or the airplane for layman's terms. Fuselage is the technical aviation term given to the body of the aircraft. Um, that is what the A380 is. That production was discontinued, and at the end of the year, last year, the final uh, Boeing 747 was, um, was delivered, or was tested and is going to be delivered, meaning that the Boeing 747, the queen of the skies, the original double-decker aircraft, um, that has been around for the last 50 years, approximately, um, is no more. That is no longer being produced. That's it. 
there will be no more made and no more deliveries of that aircraft anymore. And the 747 is the half double-decker aircraft um, that many, many airlines, you can look at British Airways, you can look at Air France, you can look at uh, Virgin Atlantic, for example, Lufthansa as well. Many major airlines uh, across the world have used the 777. And uh, all the uh, American airlines, not American airlines, but in terms of airlines in the United States have also used the 777 uh, um, often throughout their history before they were discontinued. So this new trend in buying new things overall is going to be a huge boost for Boeing. As I mentioned, United pushed plans back for the delivery of the new A350s until 2030 that were originally meant for 2017. Not great news if you're Airbus. The new trend for Boeing orders is also increasing, which is why I think that Boeing is starting this comeback, and the 787 has almost propelled Boeing into being now the thing that everyone is looking at in the aviation industry, especially for the top airlines. They're all of a sudden starting to move away from Airbus to Boeing because of all of these new aircraft. Uh, Delta just put in a giant order for 10737 MAX airplanes uh, to be delivered over the next decade. Airbus is currently losing ground in the U.S. market because of these big deals that are being made by airlines such as United, Delta, American, with uh, Boeing. And yes, it is losing some ground internationally, but it still does maintain a very high standard in Europe and Asia. Air France, Qatar Airways, Air China, Iberia, etc. These are all air these are all airlines that largely rely on Airbus fleets. Uh, and I think that Airbus overall is going to be able to maintain a decently good level um, because of the fact that overseas they are the preferred, quote-unquote, not that Boeing isn't used, uh, but there's they are the preferred, I guess, uh, model or aircraft type, certainly that many use. Uh, and also in South America, for example, Aerolinas Argentina um, has uh, a, a large fleet of A330s that they use for a lot of their um, transatlantic flights. So I think for Boeing to finally really start gaining and being the leading uh, manufacturer in the U.S. market is a big deal. And um, it's really a great thing. And it shows, obviously, how much of an impact the new Dreamliners are having on the industry because everybody wants them. And obviously, the benefits that it, they have in terms of, you know, the seating capacity for passengers, the improvement on fuel consumption, the reduction of CO2 emissions, the fact that it's also not necessarily the largest aircraft ever. It's shorter than the 777s. But it's wider, and it's also it also has very comfortable seating configuration. It has a very comfortable layout. Passengers feel like they have space. It's not a crowded. It allows the aircraft to be crowded, but not feel crowded, if that makes sense. And I think that's all of those reasons are are, are different um, 
I think, points that a lot of the airlines have looked at and said, yes, we want to be involved in this. We want these 787s. Uh, so the 787 has pretty much been single-handedly a major competition for Airbus. It's provided major competition for Airbus, appealing to carriers after a major pandemic, as I said, where billions of dollars were lost in the aviation industry, and now airlines are trying to save as much money as possible so that, as I said, that mentality of trying to save as much money is now basically on steroids or to the nth degree because of what happened with the pandemic. Uh, and the 2020s is certainly shaping up to be a very historic decade for aviation. Now, in other air uh, aviation stories, which there have been many, um, and this is, these are all things that have happened. <laughs> I'm telling you, if, if you actually go in and take a look at things that are happening, you'd be surprised at how many important things um, and major news stories are happening within the aviation industry all within the last couple of weeks, really the last month. I think the first big one that happened over the holidays was certainly uh, Southwest having their probably worst spell uh, ever in like the history of their airline and company. Uh, according to an NBC report, there was one day at Chicago O'Hare's airport and Midway with a total of over two-thirds of their flights being canceled. The Department of Transportation stated that for comparison, average flight cancellations during the holidays for an airline are at 5%, while Southwest was sitting at between 60 and 70% of their flights being canceled. In a statement that Southwest Airlines put out, they said that, quote, we are working with safety at the forefront to urgently address wide-scale disruption by rebalancing the airline and repositioning crews and our fleet ultimately to best serve all who plan to travel with us. And CEO Bob Jordan literally put out an apology video on Southwest's website and YouTube page because that's how bad it was. And I mean... I don't blame him. I probably would have done the same because when you're having over two-thirds of your flights canceled in many of the major airports nationwide, that is not a good thing, especially during the holidays and you're leaving tons of people stranded with no other flight to get on to go wherever they need to go, forcing them to have to take alternative modes of transportation that they were not expecting to have to cover because they already paid for a flight. O'Hare was one of the airports, as I said, that was greatly affected. One of every three flights getting delayed, and obviously two-thirds of them getting canceled, uh, to many, many destinations that Southwest has, including Nashville, um, obviously Chicago Midway is another airport that I just mentioned uh, that had very similar problems, uh, flights to LAX, New York LaGuardia, Denver, etc., um, obviously Dallas Love Field, which is where uh, Southwest is headquartered. Uh, many flights to there were also delayed and canceled. There were many calls from important political officials, including the Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and the FAA for major travel reimbursements. One plan includes new vouchers for affected travelers so that they will be able to fly with Southwest at a discounted price, at a heavily discounted price, um, whenever they choose to fly with Southwest next. And uh, why are these things happening? Yeah, why are these things happening? 
Um, and it's not just now, but for the last few years, there's been a big problem with flight delays and flight cancellations. Southwest was the one that got the most attention, not only because it was during the holiday season, but also because that it's one of the four major U.S. carriers. The four major U.S. carriers are Southwest, American Airlines, United Airlines, and Delta. And in terms of market share, they are basically, you know, given as uh, that position of being the most influential or powerful in the market, certainly in the United States. Um, but why has this been happening? I think there's different reasons for it. Uh, number one, there's been more firing than hiring. And many people don't like to talk about it, but it's true. This whole push for the vaccine and everything, okay, well, you know, they want to force people during the pandemic, including pilots, to have to vaccinate themselves in order to work. And people said, I am not going to listen to you and have you force me, jab myself five times for me to fly an airplane and do my job. So many were fired. And, well, okay, you want to do that? Fine. Get your way, but you need to live with the consequences of those actions. And the consequences is that you have a huge lack of workforce and of not only pilots, but of employees that help with all of these travels and all of these flights and all of these destinations and all of these different routes. And you have what happened to Southwest over the holiday break. Also, there's not enough aircraft for the increasing demand of passengers. That is obviously one of the downsides of, you know, the low-cost carriers using aircrafts like the 737s or the A320s. They're smaller aircraft that can't hold as many people. And that's why a lot of times for even, you know, not necessarily lengthy domestic flights, some of the other major carriers, such as Delta and American, or United, right? They have 767s, and again, one of the reasons why, as I said, they have kept them for so long, these older model aircraft, is yes, for those certain flights that you get high demand for, you can pack more people on them. You can meet the demand. Well, Southwest, with their smaller aircraft, that's one of the downsides. Uh, and obviously, you know, they just generally don't have enough. I think for, personally, in my view, for the amount of destinations that Southwest is going to, I think they need to start, you know, changing some of their strategy in terms of model. Um, because, you know, f going to so many of the major hubs in the United States and only having basically one model aircraft that you're working with. I think they go to too many hubs in the U.S. to only have largely, I mean, 99% of their fleet are the uh, 737s, I believe. Uh, I think that they're too much involved in the market for them to only be uh, with one aircraft model. And I think also another thing that I'm going to touch on in just a minute is uh, air traffic control facilities, not only having not enough controllers because there's a huge workforce shortage, but also the fact that there's a huge lack of modern technology 
that clearly is missing. And that has led to a lot of delays and cancellations because not only can airlines not meet the demand for passenger uh, for passenger aviation, but the air traffic facilities also literally don't have enough controllers in order to control flights over the airspace. Uh, and that leads to problems like the Department of Transportation and Pete Buttigieg, the tra- transportation secretary, coming out and saying, hey, yeah, can you guys fly your domestic flights over the Atlantic Ocean? Because we didn't do our job at the FAA and actually implement a strategy to have enough workforce or modern technology to keep up with the modern demand of aviation, which has been increasing for the last two decades. And there have been many signs based on data analysis that have been completely ignored. There have been many signs that the demand was going to increase heavily. Yeah, we didn't do our job. So can you like reroute your flights over the Atlantic Ocean? Because like, you know, Jacksonville Center, they can't really control the aircraft because it's too much. We, we don't have enough. So sorry, we're going to just extend your flight time for a half hour. All right. So that's what happens when you don't prepare yourself for the situation. So I think there's different I think there's different things that have added up to this. But bottom line is, you know, Southwest, you better get your act together. Because the impression that you made over the holidays to a lot of people is not good. When you're on national TV for the whole week after after Christmas, that is not a good look for an airline. Um, and not only that you're on national TV, but national TV with the same issue happening over and over and over and over again. Not a good look. So it'll be interesting to see how Southwest recovers from this huge dilemma that they had over the holidays. Uh, And other airlines, yes, they have delays, they had cancellations, but nowhere near the amount, nowhere near the amount that Southwest did uh, over the holiday break. Another incident that happened was a JetBlue flight, JetBlue flight, 662 that was flying from Barbados to JFK up in New York. Uh, It actually landed at JFK and it had a smooth flight. There was nothing wrong with the flight. And as soon as it landed, it was parking at the gate and a laptop on the aircraft caught on fire. Okay, so now you're telling me we have to worry about phones and laptops? We already had the problem with Samsung phones lighting up on fire in the middle of airplanes. Now you're telling me we have to worry about laptops getting caught on fire? CBS News New York reported uh, based on an interview with a passenger that was on the flight that the captain was rushing out of the cockpit, broke through the door, grabbed the fire hydrant, and rushed over seats and people, over everybody, to put out the fire in the back of the airplane. Big kudos to the captain of the flight. He did his job, and um, he certainly was willing to risk everything to uh, save his passengers. Uh, And 167 passengers were the total amount of souls on board. They rushed out with the inflatable slides. Uh, They did not go in through the gate. They rushed out through the slides. There were a few minor injuries because of the sliding and probably a lot of the 
commotion that was going on. Naturally, if you know, there's a laptop that catches on fire and there's a bunch of smoke, that probably would make a lot of people very certainly nervous and wanting to get out of the plane as quickly as possible. So there were a few minor injuries. And this occurred at uh, Gate 29 of Terminal 5 at JFK, which is where JetBlue resides uh, at uh, JFK International. And the cause of the fire is under investigation by the FAA. Uh, and apparently, uh, it was in the back of the plane. And again, the laptop didn't actually catch on fire until they were literally parking at the gate. Nothing happened during the flight. And all of a sudden... It was smoking and then started to show sparks and then it caught on fire, but obviously it was put out by the captain. So that was some news story, which when I heard it, I was like, what? I'm like, are you serious? And I looked it up and there were a bunch of bunch of videos on uh, on, on YouTube and um, it's still under investigation what, you know, why that happened. Um, I have no idea what the actual uh, laptop uh, was um who it was made by, I don't know what the company was, I don't know if it was Windows, I don't know if it was a Mac, I don't know if it was a Lenovo, um, I have no idea, uh, but that was certainly some story that caught a lot of people's attention, and this happened, uh, I think literally the day after Christmas, or th this was either right before or right after Christmas, uh, so right about the same time that the Southwest cancellations and delays were happening. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Boeing finally retired the 747, the queen of the skies after 50 years of production, since it was first introduced in the 1970s, has finally been retired and it will not be produced any longer. Uh, over a thousand, I think it's like a thousand three hundred, a thousand four hundred, I don't know, a ridiculous amount of Boeing 747s have been produced and delivered to many, many of the major world airlines, both in the United States and abroad, over the last 50 years. Major carriers included it as part of their fleet, as I mentioned earlier, British Airways, Lufthansa, Air France, uh, are some of the notables that have uh, used this model aircraft. Uh, and uh, it was certainly revolutionary at the time. It changed the way commercial aviation operated, not only because of the just pure size of the aircraft, but the fact that you can seat so many passengers, the fact that you can have different class levels uh, for flights and have different kinds of service for flights, the fact that you had staircases on an airplane was mind-boggling at the time. Uh, it was truly an innovation that uh, largely developed the modern aviation industry. Uh, just like the A380 did, the 747 was the original double-decker, uh, and um, it certainly had its role. And it was discontinued in December, just a little over a year, basically a year, since the last A380, the last Airbus A380, was produced in the uh, winter of 2021. So the A380 and the 747 are no longer in production. The two largest commercial aircrafts have seen their day. They are still in use by the airlines that still have them. Uh, the A380s 
largely used by airlines such as Emirates in the Middle East, as well as Qatar Airways has them. Um, and I know British Airways still has a couple that they're being used. And then the 747s are kind of sporadically around. I know Lufthansa, for example, still uses them. So uh, just a really, really big moment in terms of just the general history of aviation uh, for such a unique aircraft to be discontinued uh, in its production. Now, the big news that happened over the last week since the new year, which was incredible. I, I, I mean, the first time since 9-11 that we had all flights in the United States grounded. Um, and we've had warning signs. We've had warning signs where there have been system problems with the air traffic control system in the United States. But just a few days ago, and today is the 19th, today is the 19th of uh, January. This happened a few days ago. The NOTAM system, which is the abbreviation for Notice to Air Missions system, which is a security system for those of you that do not know. This is a security system to notify pilots by air traffic controllers. So this is between pilots and air traffic controllers, every commercial flight, um, and also for you know private aviation and general aviation. But here, focusing on commercial uh, aviation, since this is what it largely affected, the NOTAM system, which is used to identify and to tell pilots certain unpredicted or you know unexpected either changes or events that happen, that system crashed across the entirety of the United States. And this led to all flights being grounded in the United States for the first time since 9-11. Since 9-11, there has not been a single time that the FAA has literally had to put out a demand or resolution requiring all flights to be grounded immediately. And that is exactly what happened. Now, here's the odd thing. Is that not only did this happen in the United States, but on the same day, hours later, the NOTAM crash also occurred in Canada. So Canada, a few hours after what happened in the United States, experienced the same exact problem. According to the Wall Street Journal, Canadian aviation officials said an alert system, the NOTAM system, that provides airlines with important safety information went down less than two hours after a similar system crash in the United States was restored on Wednesday. The system outage lasted for nearly three hours. Uh, Canada's NOTAM entry system went down at about 10.20 a.m. Eastern and was restored at roughly 1.15 p.m., according to Vanessa Adams, spokeswoman for the Ottawa-based not-for-profit NAV organization. 
which is one of the leading aviation organizations in Canada. So Canada had the same problem that the U.S. had. Could it be hacking? Is this a system failure? It's being under investigation. The FAA is currently investigating the issue. Um, but clearly, this just shows that whatever happened, you know, similarly to what I said a few minutes ago with the delays and cancellations that have affected a lot of airlines, one of the reasons being because of you know, the issues with the air traffic system, the current air traffic system. I mean, this just proves that the system is outdated. It's slow. It's inefficient. It is prone to error. It's prone to way too much error. And yes, aviation statistically is the safest way to travel. It has, it has an exemplary safety record. Aviation has not had a death in the United States in over four years. And despite that, these problems with the air traffic control system need to be addressed immediately. And they've been ignored for too long. We can't have commercial aviation without an air traffic control system. It's as simple as that. With the current demand for air travel ever increasing and getting ever so popular, there needs to be a solution to control the massive amounts of aircraft that we're putting up in the skies and do so in an efficient and safe manner. Why we still, for example, have tons of major airports with handwritten flight strips and not electronic flight strips. I do not understand that. It is 2023. You're telling me we don't have the ele- we don't have the electronics or the technology to upgrade that? Because at the FA Academy and what I personally have used in terms of technology for my air traffic tower class, we had electronic flight strips. They also have them at the academy. But we don't have them in the actual towers in real life where actual planes are flying. Something's wrong there. Travel demands are not being kept up, uh, kept up with. And the FAA has had two decades to do something. The FAA's new next-gen air traffic management program, which they announced at the beginning of the previous decade, came out way too late. The next-gen program should have come out in like 2005, not like 2012 or 2013. I think it was announced in 2010, and then it's been for the last about eight or nine years, quote-unquote, being implemented. Yeah, that's kind of a lie because nothing's really been done. It came out too late. It's taking way too long to implement. There's been way too many technical and implementation issues that have made the whole implementation process of this new technology to be implemented extremely tedious and extremely slow. And when you have an airline industry that is growing as quickly as it is today with exponential demand, 
We need immediate change in the air traffic control system. Not five or ten years from now. We need change now, like this year. Something needs to happen. Because clearly, the equipment that we had was good while it lasted, but it's causing way too many delays. It's causing way too many cancellations. It is prone to potential hacking. It glitches in and out whenever it wants to. And if the FAA is not going to do something about the actual workforce shortage, huge workforce shortage that is currently uh, being dealt with in air traffic because the FAA, according to their estimates from over a decade ago, we should have a thousand more controllers in our air traffic control facilities than we currently do. So basically, we are over a thousand controllers short across the entire United States. And that not only leads to what I said earlier, having to reroute domestic flights over the ocean because you don't have enough controllers to control the airspace or all of the flights that are going through an airspace, but that also leads to issues like having to move 10% of the entire workforce in the United States to Florida in order to try to keep up with the demand, meaning you're taking away controllers from other parts of the country Yes, they maybe don't have as much demand, but they're still needed in those areas. So yeah, you may move them to Florida, and that may help with the Florida situation, which is what was done last year by the FAA. But at the end of the day, now you're leaving those areas from which the controllers came from more prone to not only, obviously, shortage in terms of controllers, but more prone to delays, issues, higher work stress, etc. It's an already stressful job. It's an already very difficult job. Which you need to have not only very good patience and you have to have self-control with emotions because yes, it can get frustrating. But you also need to be very quick. You have to have great memory and you need to be able to focus for an extended period of time on constant airplanes moving in and out of an airspace or whether it's landing or whether it's departures or whether it's approaches or whether it's even just taxing on ground control. So huge problems in the actual current air traffic control system. The current technology that's in air traffic facilities is the technology that was new and that was implemented in the late 90s and early 2000s. It is over 20 years ago when that happened. Why we are just starting to do something about it now makes no sense to me. And with the data available that the FAA had, and not only that, Europe has actually been doing something and has been implementing new air traffic technologies. And the FAA has done nothing. They announced this plan for, as I said, the new next-gen program. They've implemented practically nothing. And it's not helped one bit. France, for example, is implementing a new system called Forflight. That is going to provide 
3D and 4D air traffic images and estimations exactly as to where airplanes will be and where they could collide in order to avoid collisions in the event that controllers do not give correct headings or correct indications on what aircraft should do. For example, that's one of the many things that this new system is going to do. In the UK, they also did the same thing. Implementing new technologies into many of the important air facilities, air traffic facilities there. Bottom line here, and I think you know the, the point that needs to be stressed is the FA needs to get their act together and actually start implementing these changes immediately. You said that you were going to have this next-gen program largely implemented by now, and we're nowhere near that. And this was eight or nine years ago that you announced it when, as I said, it should have been announced in like 2005, not when you did. So because you saw how bad it was going to get with the increasing demand level for commercial aviation. So we're going to see what happens. We're going to find out more information. Obviously, this is all under investigation by the FAA. Obviously, Canada is also investigating this issue. And it's also a sign to the rest of the world that, hey, on this particular issue, yeah, you've been doing it right. In Europe, for example, they've been ahead of the FAA on this because they've actually been updating the system, understanding that it's going to be more complicated with less controllers to control so many airplanes. If the FAA doesn't do something about the controller shortage and doesn't find a way to either grow enthusiasm for the position or is not able to, over the next decade, the estimates say, according to according to the um, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, it is estimated that the level of controllers now, so the number of controllers now, are going to be practically exactly the same a decade from now. Those are the current estimates based on the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So bottom line here is, okay, yeah, so you're saying there's not going to be any way to get more controllers in? Okay, then you need to update the technology. It is... It is unrealistic to expect controllers to be able to efficiently and effectively do their jobs with a ridiculous amount of aircraft that they have to control because the FA hasn't done its job in filling in those open positions because of so many controllers retiring and leaving the air traffic control system. Here's another thing you could do, FA. Instead of sending a bunch of new people to the academy to teach at the academy, why don't you send them to some air traffic control facilities? Why don't you raise the age from 56 to mid-60s where controllers can still work? Yeah, you may think that, well, that might be too old, but... What's the bigger problem here? Having people that you consider to be too old in the air traffic uh, facilities or having safe flight travel 
for the billions of people that get on airplanes in the United States in a year. I think it's pretty clear to me. The other big news that came out finally, and this is the last thing we'll touch on, and then we are going to end this episode real quick, just for the next minute or two. Uh, The crash in Nepal of Yeti Airlines Flight 961, and there was also a uh, crash in the Ukraine of a helicopter that uh, crashed into a building and local neighborhood in Kiev, uh, which killed the uh, interior minister of Ukraine. Uh, and unfortunately, multiple people right now, um, there's at least 14 people dead in that helicopter crash in the Ukraine. And the crash in Nepal with Yeti Airlines Flight 961 killed, unfortunately, everyone that was on board. And it was just a short flight, maybe only about a half hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, According to NBC News, roughly a 27-minute journey. Um, And this was a flight that was taking place between its capital, uh, Kathmandu, and a popular tourist spot, Pokhara. And this is a flight uh, that that this airline, Yeti Airlines, uh, has been doing now for a long time. Uh, This is a flight that they've been doing for a long time, and it's a very traditional route. And it killed all 72 people on board, including two U.S. citizens and two permanent residents, which were announced today, uh, just hours ago actually, uh, by the Department of, uh, I think it was the Department of Transportation that takes care of that. Um, actually, no, it was the State Department, yeah. State, State Department spokesperson uh, Ned Price gave a news briefing earlier today where he gave this information that two U.S. citizens and two uh, permanent residents were killed in this accident. Horrible accident, and this airplane, which is manufactured and has been manufactured in France over uh, the last number of years, um, has been um, a pretty you know, successful aircraft, and it's not really had any major issues. Uh, This is certainly the worst accident that it's experienced. Um, And according to NBC News, uh, this crash was the deadliest crash Nepal has had since 1992 when 167 people on board a Pakistan International Airlines plane were killed when an aircraft struck a hill as it tried to land in Nepal's capital city. So it's unfortunate that both of these two events happened. May those people that died rest in peace. And obviously this needs to be investigated. And it seems, at least for the Nepal crash, that the issue was uh, that the aircraft was basically on descent. It was about a half mile off the end of the runway. And because it was on descent, in order to land at the airport, Um, It was slowing down its speed, but it slowed down its speed so much that it entered a stall. And a stall occurs in aviation with any aircraft when it basically at its maximum angle of attack, which we call AOA, the aircraft flies too low of a speed, which 
leads to not enough lift being produced to keep the aircraft in the air, causing the aircraft to fall out of the sky. And when that happens, obviously, usually it ends, unfortunately, in a tragic situation like this. So that is what is being talked about. There is a video, actually, um, by somebody that took a video on a rooftop. Literally looks like it was not even a mile, very close to where the plane came down. There's a video of somebody catching the airplane in his final moments, and you can see that the airplane is on descent, and then it just stalls and falls from the sky and into the ground, and obviously you hear a huge bang um, and a huge fireball uh, blows up. A very unfortunate event, and hopefully that situation uh, can be averted in the future, and whatever needs to be investigated is investigated. And that is it for this episode. That is a lot of stuff that has happened in basically just the last month. Um, so I hope that I have piqued your interest, many of you, on the aviation industry, it's fascinating and there's a lot of different things to be talked about and so many different interesting things that I think are very much affecting the way of life, certainly in transportation, um, not only in the past but over the next decade. As I said, it's going to be an exciting decade, I think. The next 10, 20 years in aviation are going to be very exciting and I'm certainly looking forward to hearing more about the American Airlines um uh, decision to partner with Boom Supersonic for uh, the new uh, supersonic aircraft um, that they want to deliver by 2025. Hopefully, we'll find more news about that in the future, and we're going to see how United ends up doing with these new 787 Dreamliners, which I think are going to be a huge success as they've proven to be with many other airlines across the world. And obviously, Boeing, huge win for Boeing. And uh, certainly, uh, we're going to have to see what Airbus does about this in terms of um, new orders from airlines and potentially developing new model aircraft. Because clearly, the 787 is the talk of the town in the aviation industry. Thank you so much for listening in. I really appreciate all the love and support. Make sure to share your thoughts with me if you have my number or via email at realdealpodcast360 at gmail.com. And you can also, if you want to DM me uh, in the uh, Instagram account for our podcast, which is the real deal underscore 360. That is the real deal underscore 360 on Instagram. Make sure to follow, like, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. I hope you all enjoyed and thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. This was a fun episode for me to record a lot of things that I wanted to talk about and I'm glad I was able to. We will catch you on the next one. Thank you for joining and talk to you soon. Peace.